It's okay to want to have sex, and you're not less valuable to God. Our sexuality was built into us by God. It is for a purpose and for a reason, and it is holy, and it is part of who we are. Both men and women suffer under purity culture. This is Purity Culture Part 2. Last week, we started this conversation on purity culture, and this week, we're summing it up, talking about the differences between men and women in purity culture and how it affects them both, how we can properly talk about sex and a balance we need to strike, how to give proper direction in sex education, and how purity culture can contribute to abortion and rape. This topic is desperately crying out to be talked about, so let's get right to it here on The Reckless Pursuit. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hey everyone, welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And we are your hosts. This is episode 52. It is a direct uh, continuation of episode 51. So this is a part two. And I just want to stop you right now, whatever you're doing. If you have not listened to episode 51, I highly urge you to do that first because... It has a lot of good preface to what we're talking about here. There's a good chance you'll be completely lost. Uh, and so please go back and listen to epi- uh, episode 51 first before listening to episode 52, the one you're listening to right now. We are continuing our conversation on purity culture. Last week was a fantastic episode, had some great response. Everyone uh, seem to really just take to this topic. It's such a huge topic going around right now. We have amazing Collins that have just shared their hearts, shared what's going on in their lives, uh, and shared their hearts and opinions and thoughts. And just uh, this week, we're diving even deeper into that. We're going to be hitting topics like differentiating between men and women in purity culture, how we can properly talk about sex and give proper direction in sex education. Uh, and even how purity culture can contribute to abortion. So this is going to be a seriously deep episode. Uh, and like I said, that's why you got to catch episode 51 first before you dive into this, because you're going to want to listen to this thing all the way through. But before we get into that, we just want to ask you real quick, if you don't mind and you really enjoy this show, maybe you've been around for a little while, you really enjoy this show We want to be able to keep this conversation going with as many people as possible. This isn't a marketing ploy. We don't make anything from this podcast. We do this completely uh, to just build a community. And I just would love it. uh, Elaine and I both would love it if you would take this and just share this with a friend or two that you think needs to hear uh, this message, that needs to have the freedom to be able to ask questions and who are chasing after truth uh, no matter what that means or looks like so just go and share this with a friend we greatly appreciate it and of course 
If you're not in the community group, we want you there. It's a growing, thriving community. And so please go down there to the show notes below. Click that button that will take you to the Reckless community and ask to be a part. We want you there and we want to hear your voice. With that being said, we're going to dive right into part two of Purity Culture. Here it comes. So this week, we are continuing the conversation we had last week about purity culture And we had amazing guests call in and share their stories and experiences um, with purity culture and especially just growing up in church and just how um, they were taught from the churches that they had um, grown around with and just their experiences in a negative way. And we heard our guests talk about how um, their shame in uh, purity culture and how it's taught It can be used as a control mechanism. There's a lot of guilt. Um, A lot of the emphasis is focused around women. And we don't really hear a lot about uh, how it affects men as much as we do about women and how a lot of times it can be used to control women and their bodies and how they think about their bodies and how they even have dating relationships. So just a quick disclaimer. We said this last episode. We'll say it again. We're not advocating necessarily to go out and just have sex. That's not it at all. If you're getting that from the message, you're completely reading into this completely wrong. What we are saying is in churches, sex is not taught. It is to be feared. There's no proper education. Uh, It's just a thing that we use as a monster under the bed to keep people away from. That's not a proper method of anything that's not teaching anyone anything i heard it i was online the other day and i was reading some threads about this conversation not related to our podcast at all actually and someone said why should we teach sex in church that's like handing someone a gun and teaching them how not to use it and i was like what are you talking about of course you want to teach someone how not to use something or how to be safe with something that's the dumbest analogy i've ever heard in my life You know, if you're behind the wheel of a car, you're going to teach someone how to be a safe driver. The same thing applies to sex. We have to teach people how to uh, be proud of their body, not be ashamed of their bodies, and how to properly go about these relationships, and how not to be guilty when they're in their first encounters, you know, whenever they're having, uh, when they're married, so many husbands and wives are just so guilty of sex. They're guilty of these things. There's just so much guilt and fear, and it creates dysfunctionality. Uh, it creates an atmosphere that can just mess with people. And so we're just going to get right into that today. The first person we're hearing from today is the same four people. It's a continuation of what they said, and we're hearing from Natalie And we're just going to talk about the female body, the differences between men and women, and how uh, virginity is a female concept. So let's get right into that and hear from Natalie. Another issue, of course, is the fact that it is so very one-sided. These purity conferences focus on female purity. Virginity is a female concept. Um, Men are never told that they are less valuable if um, if they've had sex with a woman. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, men are expected to have sex before they're married and women are, are shamed for it. 
Um, the double standard is wrong because I do not believe men are more sexual than women. I think women can be and probably should be very sexual beings and should embrace that part of their femininity. But we're told from the very beginning through things like purity conferences and through purity culture that we are less than our male counterparts. Um, and that's absolutely wrong. And I want to tell all of these girls who grew up the way I did that you're not dirty and you're not wrong and your desires are not wrong. If something happened to you, like it happened to me, or if something makes you feel uncomfortable and you feel ashamed about your body, or you feel ashamed about causing someone else to sin, it's not your fault. It's absolutely not your fault. You did not cause another person to do anything. That's completely on them. Um, unfortunately, purity culture teaches us that we are at fault. And even though they don't explicitly say it, um, that, that is what they teach. So I remember going to a conference called True Love Waits. And that's a pretty common purity conference, I think. And, and I was probably 12 when my parents sent me off to this conference. And the whole youth group went... And we learned that our menstrual cycles were God's reminder to Christian women or to all women that um, Eve caused the fall of mankind and caused death and therefore blood. And that's why we have pain with our menstrual cycles and we should be ashamed of those things. And, and um, they didn't come out flat out and say we should be ashamed of our cycles, but uh, that, that's certainly what we got from it, that it's a time only for women and it's a time that uh, we're being reminded of original sin. I was also taught that if a man wants to have sex, he's not in love with me. I was taught that sex comes from lust, not love. And I remember thinking as I was growing up and getting older and trying to equate what I learned as a child to what I was experiencing as a late teen and early adult, we need to teach emotional responsibility and we need to teach emotional maturity. Sex is or can be something very different for a woman than it is for a man. So. Uh, we need to teach our, our young ladies that it's okay to want to have sex and you're not less valuable to God. Uh, that was the other part of uh, what I was saying before is not only are you not less valuable to your partner, but you're not less valuable to God. You're not worthless at that point. Your worth is far beyond your virginity. This idea that a broken hymen means that you're invaluable, you're damaged somehow, is absolutely laughable and ridiculous and shameful. And we should be ashamed of the way we have taught our young women to behave. So the biggest thing that kind of stood out to me from Natalie's story is that purity culture is often one-sided and how a lot of the blame, the guilt, the control is used against women. And it's interesting to me how she was told that her menstrual cycle was her punishment for Eve's first sexual sin, or not even a sexual sin, but just sin first in general. Yeah. yeah, first sin in general. And that's why women have menstrual cycles, and that is our punishment for something that somebody else did. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a misuse of the, the chapter out of in Genesis where, you know, it's talking about, it's recounting the story of Adam and Eve and, 
Eve eats the fruit. Of course, you know, I've heard numerous times of this, that story used where it's like, oh, well, Eve committed the first sin, not acknowledging the fact that Adam was standing there with her. It says in the Bible that Adam was with her. They both consented at the same time. It's not like Eve tried to deceive Adam into eating the fruit or anything like that. But anyway, basically God said, Eve, your punishment is pain during childbearing, and Adam, your punishment is to work the ground for the rest of eternity. And that's where that's kind of pulled from. Now, keep in mind that, you know, Genesis in and of itself is a telling of stories from down the line. Like, this is literally, you know, it's 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 a fable almost in the eyes of a lot of Jewish historians. And I'm not sitting here saying that Genesis is or is not true by any means. You know, I'm not sitting here saying that Genesis isn't an accurate representation or is an accurate representation. All I'm saying is... To say that a woman's menstrual cycle is her fault because of Eve's sin, that's a very brash thing to well, say. Well, yeah, because it was, for one, it wasn't even a sexual sin to begin with. And two, there are so many women who are abstinent and don't do anything wrong and wait till marriage, yet they still have to go through a menstrual cycle. Why would God punish somebody for not doing something? Well, and that goes down, I mean, that starts into the whole thing of born into sin culture and and it also talks about, you know, that kind of ties into the whole idea of like, well, why do some women have, you know, worse pain than other women? Why do some women have to deal with things like endometriosis and other women are completely fine? Like, yes, because of sin, according to Genesis, men and women suffer, but that's on a general level. It's just, it was supposed to be an account that pain was coming into the world and the world would have to be labored and toiled over even down to things like trying to gather food and trying to reproduce, which was the original commandment. You know, if you think about it, it was the original proclamation, go and, and go subdue the earth. Go, go subdue the Yeah, <laughs> go subdue the earth. And the whole idea that virginity is a female concept is an interesting thing to me. I grew up here in Arkansas, and two of my best friends were uh, very into uh, horseback riding. And I know that was a conversation that had been had you know on more than one occasion uh of like when we were teenagers and stuff and i've overheard them talk about it like well if your hymen breaks horseback riding are you no longer a virgin the fact that that's a concept of virginity is so strange to me because trauma different things like that can can cause that and i see virginity is a is definitely a choice you know if, if a young woman or a woman in general is raped that doesn't take her virginity from her. That was not her doing. She did not choose that by any means, which can tie right back into the whole modesty crap and how, oh, ultimately it wasn't one. Like, that's bull crap. It was never a woman's choice to get raped. That's ridiculous. What's interesting to me is it's almost as if we tell guys that, or a lot of times, even in movies, especially like 80s movies and stuff where it's depicted of, well, the guy needs to go win all the women, have sex with all the women, and he's praised. But if a woman goes and has sex with a bunch of men, she's a whore. And right. she's bullied. And it's almost we're giving permission for guys to go and do whatever they want. But then we blame women for whatever action and consequence that happens. But how are you supposed to tell guys, oh, this is okay. Like, oh, you're cool because you did this. But then the complete opposite to one of, oh, you're a whore. I don't want anything to do with you. 
Well, and on the flip side, even from a man's perspective, uh, when you think about things like masturbation and you think about just like there is no physical sign of a man losing virginity. Well, that and like men can't get pregnant, men can't have abortions, and so you don't see the physical... Right, and so there's like less responsibility put on a man because we have created these physical concepts of virginity that aren't true. You know, just because a hymen is broken, some women aren't even born with hymens. Some women have to have them surgically cut because of issues uh, as they, you know, grow into maturity. Like there's so much else that plays into this here, and we should never have to wonder, am I or am I not a virgin? Am I or am I not pure in the eyes of God? Because of something that was either biologically or accidentally or purposefully taken from you. And that just goes to show the issue here that we have with the balance of men and women and how women carry so much of that blame. And I honestly think that probably plays into a lot of why men get away with it because there's no uh, physical standard. Because we're holding everyone to a physical standard. But it's impossible to hold a man to a physical standard because there is no physical next to getting, you know, like an STD. There's really no physical way to track that on a man. And so there's just a lot wrong there. The other thing that she had mentioned that I really appreciate is how she had mentioned that we're often taught that sex comes from lust and not love. And while, yes, I'm sure there are plenty of people who just as in the first episode we talked about lust and what lust really is, who view women as something they want to own. Sex is a natural expression of when you care about someone. And in the right circumstances, it's a beautiful thing. And it is not just lust. And it's so hard to differentiate. For one, mind you, women and men both have sex drives. They can both be very capable of wanting sex. It's silly to put it all on a man and tell women that their sex drive is wrong. That's just ridiculous. But to say that just because someone desires you sexually means they're lusting. Yes, it's very capable. They're looking at you through the, the lens of, I want to own that. I want to take something. But that's why you build and establish a solid relationship. And there's nothing wrong with sex. And that's why so many young Christian women, when they get married, and Christian men alike, have this weird tilted mentality of sex because they feel like they're taking something from their partner. And I feel like even I at moments have been guilty of this in, in our relationship, Elaine, because like I feel like at times I'm guilty to say what I need in a marriage or for you to tell me what you need in a marriage because it feels like we're demanding something and I never want to come across as if I'm using my wife because I would never intentionally use my wife for something like that. But it almost can push people into darker things like pornography and such because they have this guilt on them, from a man's perspective at least, just trying to offer just a bit of a man's perspective uh, in this episode because I know it's primarily focused on women, but I just want to like, throw this in here. It can push you know people into... Uh, things like pornography, men and women alike, because they're scared to ask their spouse for what's naturally theirs to ask. And now, don't get me wrong, that's not a reason. You, that, there's abuse in that too. What what I'm saying is there should be no shame in sex whenever two people are consenting in that. And that is the beauty of sex. It's to bring 
you know, people closer together. And my wife and I should never feel shame as if we're putting each other out when we're both desiring to be intimate with one another. And that's what God designed us to do. You know, that's part of our identity and that's part of our relationship that we have in our marriage. And like, that's what, you know, God said, you know, for sex to be within that. And it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to find beauty and embrace. But so often, you know, we're taught that sex is bad. Sex is bad. Don't do this. Don't do that. But then whenever you're married, you're supposed to automatically completely desire your spouse and just all of a sudden be like this sexual wild animal, you know. But sometimes it's hard to switch that off even after marriage, even after years of marriage where you're like, is am I wrong for desiring this? Am I wrong for asking my partner to do this or that I want to do this with my partner because it's ingrained in you that that was originally bad. Yeah. I actually think that Megan does a fantastic job of summing this up really well. And uh, let's just cut to her. She talks about uh, what we're, what exactly what we're talking about right here, just sex positivity and how churches blame, you know, sex at women's feet and just how women's and men's sex drives are not all that different like we make them out to be. And then she actually goes into talking about how it ties to rape culture. And I think this is a fantastic direction to go. So let's hear from what Megan has to say. In terms of the responsibility being placed at women's feet for um, maintaining their purity, churches do a really great job of laying blame for sexual transgressions at women's feet continuously, and it causes a lot of problems. So one, one of the big issues for why women have to, or why women shouldn't have to deal with this, um, it basically means that women don't like sex as much as men. That's kind of the myth or the falsehood, and that's not true. Um, We know that women can like sex a lot, and we also know that men don't have to be super sexual either, and so it kind of perpetuates myths about um, sexual drive. Uh, Women are often in charge of their own rape and assault by that logic, Um, by the purity culture saying that women need to be, you know, protective of their sexuality because it may tempt men. We're telling them ultimately that any type of sex that is non-consensual or any type of touch that's non-consensual is therefore their fault. And there's zero blame on the person that is being inappropriate. And that is incredibly damaging. So much shame is a part of that. The other thing that the problem that this causes is that you've basically labeled women in two categories. Good women don't have sex, don't want sex, don't think about sex, save themselves until marriage, basically shut down their entire sexual being. That's what a good woman woman does. And a bad woman or girl um, is in touch with her sexuality, is thinking about sex, is maybe touching herself, basically taking ownership over their sexuality. That's a bad woman. That is a really damaging message because laying the labels of good and bad or or holy or sinful is is incredibly damaging. The idea that men want to have sex all the time and women need to basically play defense for all of these 
men trying to get after them and be super sexual is damaging and is directly uh, linked to rape culture. One, men don't always want to have sex all the time. And two, if they did want to have sex all the time, that's fine, but they need to be in charge of their own bodies and their own actions. Um, What a woman does in terms of her dress, in terms of her behavior, somehow could have something to do with how somebody reacts to her in a sexual manner. And we, we know that that's not right and that is wrong. Again, that's basically making women be in charge of their own rape and assault and it's playing directly into the rape culture. And just in general, it makes sure that men are not responsible for their actions. And that's incredibly damaging to hear that from the pulpit or from your youth leaders in church, um, you know, when, when you're looking for answers and you're being guided and that's just not okay. In terms of men being given more grace towards their um, transgressions. So oftentimes in purity culture, uh, the responsibility, like I mentioned earlier, is laid at the feet of women. And there's very little repairing that can be done of a woman's life and reputation if she somehow is seen as sexual or is engaging in some sort of act of sex. But men, on the other hand, are forgiven all the time. So what that plays into in terms of a myth is that men aren't ruined because of sex, only women are, and and that's a very strange thing to wrap your head around. And also then it, it basically stunts women's sexuality for fear that something terrible or negative is going to happen. And then it just reiterates, the church is reiterating that sex for men is forgettable and sex for women is sinful and inexcusable, and women aren't supposed to want sex, crave sex, enjoy sex, pursue sex. Um, And if they do, that makes them dirty and bad and sinful. So again, you're seeing all these negative messages placed at the feet of women. And men are just seen as just these simple-minded idiots who are driven by their sex drive and we just have to forgive them because those poor things they just can't help it that is wrong that is not okay guys seriously you can help it if you are a guy and you believe that you are driven by sex and that you just can't help it you are believing a lie there's nothing on earth, no biblical claim, no right ground do we ever have to think that we don't have to live to the same standard. We don't get some free pass. That's just not how it works. It's not right that a woman should ever have to play defense uh, and feel like it's their fault or be able to take any kind of, uh, I guess, take any kind of responsibility or take any kind of guilt if they're attacked and raped or molested, to think that a girl is responsible for that if a man rapes her or vice versa is silly. You were assaulted. You know, if you were somewhere, it's because you wore a nice dress or you decided to, even if you're flirting, you, just because you send off the wrong signal, it's not okay. You can think back and you could probably find a million things you can find guilt over. But I'm telling you right now, don't take that on and do not. I'm so sad that people feel like they have to play defense over their sexuality and over who they are because it's not okay. 
and rape. There's no excuse for rape, and there's no reason someone should ever have to take on that guilt. I like how Megan said that it often stunts women's sexuality and fear of just just anything and pertaining to sex, fear of marriage and fear of commitment within that and fear that she won't be desirable, um, especially if she didn't save herself before marriage. A lot of times it's taught that her husband won't love you as much if you've been with somebody else or that even just fear of going out with her friends and fear of, well, guys can't control themselves, so I must control myself or whatever. And it just really hurts women's individuality, women's sexuality. It hurts them mentally and emotionally because you should not have to live in fear of just living because somebody may have weird thoughts or somebody may have awful thoughts of doing things to you and stuff. And it almost, I feel like it stunts men's growth as well because if you tell men well you're not in control of your body you're not in control of your body over and over and over and over again and they start believing oh I don't have control like I raped you because I didn't have any control of my body my thoughts just took over I wasn't even there one it gives them an excuse to do whatever they want but two you're stunting men's growth because they have a skewed version of what sex is and what a healthy relationship is and what boundaries are yeah, and it just goes back to show uh, that women's and men's sex drives really aren't that different. Just like Megan said, you know, we all desire sex. We're, we're programmed to desire sex in some fashion. And to pin sexuality only on a man and tell women they're bad if they're not, you know, if they're not suppressing that. If they if they think about sex, they're bad. Yet men, you know, it's constantly at these conferences and stuff, given the statistic of like, oh, you're going to think about sex every three seconds. You know, that was like the statistic that was tossed around a lot. Of, oh, men think something sexual every three seconds. And that's okay. It's like you just have to channel that, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas women, you know, if you think about sex at all, you are a bad woman. And the fact that we just divide uh, women versus men and their sexuality is just silly. Because, yes, sexuality is different for every person, but the general consensus of men are these hypersexual beings that are uncontrollable and women have to constantly play defense and are not allowed to think about it is just absolutely absurd. Well, and you can't put a label on somebody, man or woman, that they're good if they don't desire it or they're bad if they do desire it. You can't compartmentalize how people are good or bad, men and women, based on their sexual desire yeah so let's shift gears here for a second and let's talk about a really big topic uh, a couple really big topics actually we're going to switch over to susan and susan talks about two things that i'm super excited and a little <laughs> nervous to even bring up it's really hot stuff right now and that is how abortion and purity culture are tied together as well as hypersexualization and how to model healthy sex on a child's perspective and how to properly teach sex so there's a lot good here but let's listen to susan you know both men and women suffer under purity culture that is true and certainly men can can have very unhealthy sexual functioning and those kinds of things as a result of repression. And But I think in the end, 
women and sexual minorities have there's much greater impact on them emotionally um, potentially financially spiritually because they are the ones who um, are visibly pregnant and so there is this very different judgment that's um, put on on women they are certainly the ones who are judged if they get an abortion so there's this no-win situation for women and in fact men control abortion rights so they're in a situation where everything they do um, is bad including the choices that they have made to be sexually active and and oftentimes they've not had the sexual education to keep that from happening so it's like a lose-lose-lose situation all around for women and while men may have some aspect of that impact it is I think greatly reduced for them and one way that I think about this all the time is that when we see a single woman um, who is a single mother we we have this reaction that is mostly negative and then when we see someone who is a single father we think of him as like this great person who has taken care of his children and sometimes we even think that oh my and there must be a, there must be a mom behind this who didn't want to take care of her children how terrible is she so it has this really different image that's created for us i think when we think of single moms versus single dads and i still you know myself catch myself thinking that way it's not a not a way that we can just overnight stop thinking in that way i i that's the first thing that comes to mind when I see a single dad, for example, and I have to catch myself in that. And that's pretty much as, as good as I can do because these biases are so implicit. And then finally, one thing I wanted to mention is about sex education. I've done quite a bit of research and been privy to a lot of discussions about this because I work with children in social services. The research is quite clear when it comes to children and sex education. We know that an unhealthy preoccupation with sex leads to negative outcomes for kids in various parts of their life, not just related to their own sexual behavior. If parents model um, a lot of uh, sexualization of things, so they're heavily preoccupied with sexuality, the idea that kind of everything is sex-related and they're um, constantly talking about it and there's a lack of self-control when it comes to sex that's represented, we find that that leads to the exact same outcome as when you look at parents who are hyper-controlling about sexuality. So that parent that makes you sign a purity contract. Those two parenting styles actually lead to the same outcome for children, which is um, heightened sexualization of oneself and of one other, of, of others, sorry, and um, also more risky sexual behavior. So where you really want to end up is... Um, having an actual healthy perspective of the emotions that we use to think about sexuality and our needs and our capacity and our maturity and that sort of stuff. So parents really need to model to children how to think about um, our feelings and how to recognize that when peer pressure is happening, that it's okay to feel that pressure and it's okay to say no, and it's okay to go to a safe adult, and it's okay to say that maybe you were doing something risky and to know that you're not going to be judged for it. If kids um, have that understanding that they can be resilient in the face of that kind of pressure, then they will end up making actually better um, choices around risky sexual behavior, and um, they end up actually having less sex early on in life than 
either of the other kind of parenting styles. So um, sex education, I think, we know needs to happen very early on. So when, when children are toddlers, when you're teaching them things like consent and about touching and um, about regulating their emotions, not disciplining children for expressing their emotions, um, helping kids work with challenging emotions rather than to shut them down or to punish them or you know using punishment as a whole in parenting. I'm very strongly um, opposed to to teaching children in that way. I think those things are strongly correlated with making unhealthy choices down the road when it comes to sexuality and relationships. I think there's so much tied up in um, sex education that goes way beyond sexualized behaviors. I think it all comes down to um, healthy self-image and um, capacity to be resilient and that requires kids to have had parents who modeled healthy emotions and healthy, healthy responses to emotions as well. So I just want to highlight something here real quick, uh, and that is just talking about how women feel all the shame of abortion. And I have something I just personally want to say here. I understand there's a lot of talk about pro-life versus pro-choice. I understand the church's very staunch stance against abortion. I understand that uh, there's just a lot of emotion involved, and there's a lot of caring involved, you know, and there's... Just there's one thing that I just that stands out to me so much, and that is in these situations, whenever things happen, the first reaction I typically see is anger, anger and just attacking women for all of the different things within abortion, for wanting for having abortions, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want to paint a picture for you here. If you were a young woman who got pregnant, who was not married, maybe just think teenager, young girl, grew up in this purity culture, and she gets pregnant, and you have two options. You can either secretively get it, uh, get an abortion, or you can face the wrath of going back to your church. I hate to say this, but it would create a situation that would be very hard either way, and a lot of young girls would swing toward abortion. Now, understand I'm talking about a percentage of abortions here. But if the church as a whole would treat women like they cared about their life as much as they cared about the baby, uh, the baby's life inside of them, maybe these young women would feel like they had more option. Because I feel like so many of them are like are terrified. I mean, I can think of so many situations where if I were in that situation, I would be absolutely terrified of walking into a church, even if the pastor or even if your parents didn't judge you for these things, all the judgmental glances, and you can think it through. If you're honest with yourself, you can completely think this through and exactly know what I'm talking about of the amount of judgment. And it's almost like someone who's in that situation who have made that mistake, people seem to care about the child, sure, but they don't give a crap about the life on the outside. All they start to care about is the life on the inside. And it creates a negativity that actually drives people toward abortion. And that's just not okay because that is not the stance that a Christian should hold. So we've got to quit attacking people and teaching and and emotionally reacting out of hate and react out of love the way God intended. One of the biggest things that stood out to me from Susan was when she was talking about single parents and how there's almost this 
negative mindset that we have around single moms of, oh, well, she got pregnant by this person and she wasn't very smart in her actions and she, oh, she must have been with other people and that's why her husband, boyfriend, whatever left her and we just kind of have this negative viewpoint or we don't even have a viewpoint of it at all. Like you just think, oh, it that's a mom, that's her kids, she's motherly, whatever. But then you th- see single dads. And I have been guilty of this too, of seeing, oh, well, that guy's with this kids. He must really love his kids. And then we have like this positive viewpoint of single men and kids because we're like, oh, well, the mom left. But it's so great to see the man standing up. Yeah. And I think that may play a little bit into like the law of normalization. We see women uh, caring for their children more often than we see men. And that just goes to prove like in this. Uh, in this day and age, we have an issue with people being fathers. We have a father issue, you know, and there's a lot of issue with men not standing up and taking their role responsibly. And that all ties back to this whole purity culture argument that goes a lot deeper than just than just uh, churches. I mean, that just goes to just our culture in general of men get a free pass while women have to bear the responsibility of it. And there's just not men stepping up to take the role of a father in these situations. And so it's normal to see, like air quotes here, normal to see a woman caring for her children. But it's abnormal to see a man caring for his children. And so we glorify the men and we discredit the women or give them no mind or even devalue them because we have this twisted perspective where we're rewarding men thinking if we reward them, maybe they'll be better fathers. But in reality, we're just creating more of a gap. And the last thing that Susan said that just stood out so prominent to me was how you have to find a balance. You can have a family that's hypersexualized. Uh, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is affairs and cheating and just their weird, you know, just the whole weird sex side of things. And then you have the other side who's hyper strict, completely uh, blocking out the rest of the world, doesn't teach proper sex education, you know, keeps the whole mentality of what they don't know they can't use, et cetera, et cetera. And they limit everyone. And they both create kids who grow up to be, generally speaking, of course, hyper sexualized. You know, there is no balance, and it actually pushes, both sides push kids to that same side of wanting to break free, and it te- pushes them into weird fetishes and weird uh, behaviors, and even ties back into rape culture in some ways, because they don't know how to respond properly. And so we've got to have a balance, because that's how we raise healthy children, to know right and wrong. That's how we raise Biblical standard children, we're wanting to keep things to a biblical standard. Well, that's how you do it is to find a proper balance. And the way we've been doing it and the way the quote-unquote enemy has been doing it are really leading to the same thing. They're both leading to the same type of outcome for these kids. What I really loved about how Susan talked about creating healthy boundaries and creating a healthy self-image is that to me in my head, after listening to what she was saying, is that sex goes way deeper than just physical. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's mental, and it's physical. And how she was talking about, well, one of the best ways to raise up a healthy generation is teaching them that they have control of their emotions and being emotionally independent and 
you know, having that emotional intelligence and knowing like, I feel this way because of this and I'm in complete control of that. One, it takes out the lack of control that men think that they have in the sexual purity culture, but also gives the control back to women over their bodies and how, you know, they represent themselves and how they feel about their individuality and sexuality and their emotions. And I think that's actually a beautiful transition here because Hannah actually uh, kind of sums this whole whole thing up with that very thing. And I just want to hear what she has to say. It's a shorter clip, but I think it's just a great, you know, kind of the great icing on this entire uh, cake we've been kind of putting together here. So let's hear what she has to say. Our sexuality was built into us by God. It is for a purpose and for a reason, and it is holy, and it is a part of who we are. And if we don't understand that part of who we are, we are left feeling disconnected and we're left with inauthenticity. Purity culture enslaves us to living in scarcity because we don't understand our needs. We are not able to communicate them in authentic ways, which produces disconnection and discommunication with our partners. This disengagement with one's own sexuality produces needs and desires and actions that leave people feeling empty and unfulfilled. It produces not just shame and fear and trepidation within our relationships, sexually or otherwise, it produces all manners of phobia, isms, fetishes, addictions, harm, abuse, neglect, and brokenness. Purity culture leaves many partners feeling shame even after they are married or even after they are engaged with one another consensually and lovingly because we've been taught that our sexuality is something to be ashamed of, which it is not. This disconnection hinders us from growing with each other in regards to the fruits of the Spirit, which can lead to us living whole fulfilled lives with each other and with the body of Christ and with Christ himself. Purity culture damages our spirituality, our connection to ourselves, to God and each other. It all goes back to communication. Why are we afraid of something God put in us to naturally express? This was put in us. It was the original thing he told us to do, go be fruitful and multiply. And in the right circumstances, sex is a beautiful thing. And in the quote-unquote wrong circumstances, it's still something that we have to come together and communicate. Uh, just like what Susan was saying before, we have to give kids a free space to communicate and to be able to share openly whenever they're having certain desires. Maybe they've made certain mistakes because without that feeling of being able to communicate, we push it further into the dark, which has got us exactly where we are. And this whole fear, this whole fear-based thing that Hannah's been talking about, it stifles this natural thing that God put in us, and it gives it over and plays directly into the opposite of what we think we've been intending to do all along. It keeps us from being able to communicate our needs and our desires, and that is not safe and not healthy. Well, and I'm sure down to the very heart of it, there are a lot of people who really take on purity culture, especially uh, religious leaders, is that they don't want to have 
unwanted pregnancies. They don't want to have these men and women have to go through these things and feel that shame and guilt. But I think purity culture, why purity culture has such a negative connotation is because of the lack of communication. We tell people don't do something, but we don't tell them why. We don't tell them how to do something. We don't tell them how to have communication within relationships and just the whole purity culture itself. It leaves us disconnected from ourselves as well as disconnected from our relationships, whether it be sexual or, you know, just emotionally and spiritually. And that's where the shame comes from. There's so much in this topic on purity culture, but it all just gets summed up to this. We have to be open. We have to allow communication and we just have to spread the love of Christ. And there is so, so much potential in churches to just create healthy sexual atmospheres if we can just get rid of the fear of sex and embrace the natural God-given side of it. And we just quit just dividing people based on their gender, uh, their gender roles and just based on happenstance and uncontrollable means. And we have just got to allow freedom of expression and we have got to give people a voice and just let them not be afraid of who they are. Everyone, we want to hear from you. We have a question, and we'd love just to hear back from you. What are some small individual steps each of us can take to change this conversation for the better in our Christian communities? We would love to hear from you on this. Uh, it, you're welcome to join the Reckless community. We want you a part. It's a great place to answer these questions and to ask your own the links are in the show notes below. Go click Ask to be a part, and we would love to have you. You can also head over to TheRecklessPursuit.com. There you can send us a voicemail, drop us an email, say hi, and send that in too. We have weekly blogs and videos. Every Wednesday we have a new blog. Every Friday we have a new video. All the links for that are also on our website, and that's just a great way to keep the conversation going, to get some more resources, and to get a little more Reckless Pursuit in your life throughout the week. Again, we would really appreciate it if you would invite a friend to tune in. That would help us a ton to get this message out and to keep this conversation alive. And of course, if you have not done so so far and you enjoy what we have going here, go click that subscribe button and we would love it if you would leave us an honest review. That helps us to know what we're doing great and what we can do better. Just a quick shout out to all of our amazing guests who sent in these audio clips and so bravely shared their heart, their experiences, and their wisdom. Thank all of you so much for just taking the time to record and to send that in to help further a good cause of bringing proper education into our Christian communities about sex. And as always, be brave. Be bold and, and be, be reckless. reckless. We'll, we'll talk, talk soon. soon.